Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from Solas, and I'm joined uh, by my usual wonderful co-host, Christy Mayer, <laughs> from uh, North London. Uh, Christy, how are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. The usual wonderful. Thank you very much. That's very kind. <laughs> um, we were saying on the previous show, I think we've done over 100 of these now, and you know, I used to set myself the challenge of trying to find different adjectives <laughs> every time, and and the thesaurus is uh, is, is bare, but there we are. That will have Aww, to be. Thanks, mate. Well, we have a wonderful guest uh, for uh, folks today on the Pep on the Pep Talk podcast. We are joined uh, by Jason Lane, who's coming to us uh, from Oxford today. Uh, Jason, how are you doing? I'm very well. Good to be with you. Brilliant. So, Jason, you head up uh, an organisation uh, called InnoVista. So, rather than me try and summarise what you guys do, because it's quite an impressive description. Why don't you tell us a bit about InnoVista? What is it you folks do, and uh, and why are you excited about it? Yeah, so InnoVista identifies, equips, and develops missional leaders in challenging contexts. So we work across Europe, uh, the former Soviet Union, from Ireland to places like Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. And we're particularly focused on places where Christians are under pressure, often experiencing persecution, mm-hmm. where resources are really small. Um, and we're there through our national teams to equip leaders who want to communicate and demonstrate the great news about Jesus to their communities. It sounds like a fantastic um, vision, Jason. How did, how did this come about? Like, what is the, what is the origin of, of InnoVista? Uh, yeah, I think, I think the start was actually my own experience growing up. So I, I was dragged along to church from when I, you know, as young as I could remember. And, and the way I would describe the experience was Jesus sounded absolutely amazing and church was terrible, mm. and I and I couldn't put the two together. Um, I used to pass the time in the church services, seeing if I could hold my breath for a minute, watching the clock above the preacher's head. Wow. Um, it, was, it was it was just dire. So I got to sort of sixteen, bailed on church, um, and at the same time, a friend of mine came to real faith in Christ, started to change. Every time I'd asked him what was going on, he'd say, "Jesus is changing my life," and I'd say. Oh, can't be Jesus because then I've got to do church. Uh, so I basically wrestled with this for a few years, um, came to the conclusion that Jesus was the real deal and I'd have to figure out church. Um, so I, I went back to this church and went to the elders and basically said, can we mobilize all these young people in the church to serve the community? I I knew that I discovered great news. I knew that it should be communicated to everyone and and the elders said, well, we need to think about it. And they disappeared for six months and came back to me, called me into a meeting and said, we thought and prayed. And the answer is no. And I was utterly shocked. Mm. And when I asked them why, they said, you're too young. And and I was sort of 16-ish, 17. Uh, and I look back on that, and I, and I actually think that was the beginning of my passion to to raise missional leaders because I was, you know, of course I had so much to learn, but I wasn't given an opportunity or any support. I was just told no. And that seems like a real waste. It does, doesn't it? And I think the other thing I love about, about that, well, love, I mean, tragic what, what you went through, <laughs> but, but, but love about your energy there is that I think young people so often that's the case, right? They have the, they have the vision, they have the energy, they have the enthusiasm in spades, like yeah. <laughs> experience so perhaps one question straight away which might be interesting for folks listening 
to this. What then happened that went well? Because obviously the story didn't end there with you squash be like a beetle, and yeah. that was the end of it. Obviously, you found some way of of coming up, getting folks to come alongside you and help you with that. So, what I suppose, what advice would you have to church leaders listening to this? You've got similarly enthusiastic young people in their churches. How can we get behind that energy and channel it, channel it well, rather than squish it? Yeah, I, uh, that is the question, and and I think the answer is support and encouragement and honest feedback. So get alongside young young people who have have a vision, however sort of raw it is, and however unformed they may be, and 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 back them, and back them with your time, back them with your um, encouragement and and opportunity for ministry, because we you know leadership is is fundamentally learned by doing, and and. Young leaders need the opportunity to do, but they need some guardrails, uh, and and that's primarily in the form of relationships with older, more experienced leaders who can um, encourage what they do well, point out the stuff that they need to improve, and and encourage them to keep going. You know, and um, that's what I wasn't given. So I, you know, I ended up leaving that church and going to a church up the road where they, they put me into youth ministry and said, we, we see something in you. Um, and the, part, the senior pastor of this church said, I, I'm just going to give you a shot, but I'm going to walk with you. And, and that's what happened. And um, young people came to faith, and um, I grew loads in the process because this wonderful man called Norman would take the time to say, okay, look, um, that was great, but you really need to do that a bit differently, and here's why. Uh, and that process over time is the way to grow grow the next generation of leaders. Uh, that that's uh, speechless in some ways, really. Uh, how just thinking about what you've just shared and and how we go about growing that next generation of leaders. What does what does it look like multiplying that across the many countries that? that you serve in what how do you practically do that in places like you know Uzbekistan and um other kind of former soviet um countries how do you how what does that look like <laughs> just a small question for you there yeah, <laughs> yeah it 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 look fundamentally it looks like finding finding the right people um so i i'll, I'll just tell you the story of of um of um uzbekistan um we We've been working in Ukraine for almost 20 years. And one of our Ukrainian staff, we always work through nationals. So this isn't about me, you know, jetting into another place and doing training. This is our, our model is is about um raising national leaders and and raising leaders who will train other leaders. So um our Ukrainian colleague had a lot of experience in Central Asia. So we moved her to Uzbekistan for a year with one one goal, which was to find an Uzbek national that that she thought our future ministry in that country could be built on, and and she went and lived there with her um, with her husband, and they they spent the year just getting to know local churches. They had a lot of connections already. She actually went with one person in mind, and then came across a remarkable woman. That we call Medina. We can't. We can't go public with her real name for security reasons. Mm. Um, and uh, got to know Medina deeply over the period of you know, nine or ten months. 
and, and basically concluded that that Medina could be the person to to sort of be our lead trainer in Uzbekistan. And and Medina had a real vision to grow younger leaders. So we started pouring into Medina um, to enable her to to start training and mentoring in her own context. And um, Medina today is leading her own team of Uzbek nationals who are growing leaders across the entire country in some really tough places. Um, later this evening, uh, we have an Uzbek couple coming to join us for dinner here in Oxford. Mm. And um, uh, the guy is here doing a PhD, um, and uh, he is uh, part of the fruit of Medina's ministry in Uzbekistan. So it's it's really wonderful to see that sort of model of deep relationships, you know, investment through relationships, replicating um, time and again. Now I'm 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 conscious that you know in a in a short form podcast like this to go deeply in some of the issues is a challenge. I'm very conscious this this question is going to sound desperately sort of broad in a sense um, that I know you're you're a pro. So let's give it a crack. What what are what are some of the major challenges that I suppose you see in the sort of young leaders in places like Uzbekistan or where else that you really need to work work into? I mean. Obviously, so yeah. the, the context is so tough. There's the persecution that we can't begin to think about here in the UK. I've got no concept of what that's like. Is it mainly those things, or are there, there are other issues that you're finding that you're really have to put the time into in terms of growing and discipling and maturing leaders who can lead well in those contexts? Yeah, I, I, th- I think the I think the answer to that is some of the issues are exactly the same everywhere, and and some are contextual. So. The, the issues that are, are the same are the need to grow um, deep character, um, courage, and skill. So what what often happens in in the sort of church world is is that because we rightly put so much emphasis on character, we sometimes miss the skill, and and we need both. You know, I'm sure we've all experienced leaders who are. Um, full of integrity but lacking skill and 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 that really limits progress um so character and skill together character is core but it's not everything um and then the courage to create and innovate and and push forward with ways of demonstrating and communicating the gospel in ways that make sense in in their context and and as you said Andy Context is very different comparing here, you know, as, a, as an example with Central Asia. Um, in Central Asia, you're dealing with issues like grinding poverty. So there's a very big challenge with, with young leaders leaving the country because they have to feed their families and there's no work. So um, we have to think about how to meet that kind of challenge. Um, how do you witness for Christ in a context where you can be thrown into prison what what is what does that look like what does it look like to um live distinctively as a follower of jesus when corruption is rampant and expected you know someone said to me on a call earlier this week um about another country in asia um we cannot do anything here without paying a bribe how 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 do you respond to that as a follower of jesus so um, some of the issues are the same: character, courage, integrity. Others are context specific, and and that's why we work through 
through national leaders and trainers because they know their context, they love their context and their people and their best place to to figure out an appropriate response. Mm. Could you, I mean, um, Jason, could you share with us an, an example of that from maybe a community that you're closely, that you've been closely involved with um, in training and, and reaching in reaching others in that context? What does this look like for you? And, and maybe just kind of what might be some some practical tips maybe or just theological pointers just to encourage listeners in, in the difficult context that they might be in as well, um, thinking about the the character and skills. How do how do we go about serving the communities in which, you know, God has placed us? So yeah, I'd just love to hear some of your own experiences of that and what that's looked like for you. Yeah. Um, well, let, let me, let me share another story from Uzbekistan that I've seen, I've seen sort of up close and personal and, and, and then talk about some of the application. There's, there's a people group in Uzbekistan um, called the Luli people and they're the poorest of the poor um, they are discriminated against at every turn, and um, a large number of this people group live on a rubbish dump outside of the capital of Uzbekistan, and they survive by picking plastic bottles. Mm. And um, a pioneering church planter um, had a vision to reach them, and uh, and he contacted our team in Uzbekistan and, and asked if we'd support them in that process, and. What that's looked like in, in practice is deep listening to the community to understand how they were experiencing life. So not, not assuming that, that um, the pastor or our team knew, but, but by asking questions and listening and, and spending time with them. And, and that led to a, um, a, an approach to, to planting church and sharing the gospel. and now. Um, an education project that because um, this people group can't access education, so some of them have have been taught how to read and write for the first time, and and now some of the women are being trained so that they can run businesses. So the the community is being transformed, and that's come from listening. And I and I think that's that's the foundational principle is let's. Let's commit to deeply understanding the people we want to reach, not assuming we know what they need, not assuming we know the answers, but but listening to them as people made in the image of God with dignity and, and as people that God deeply loves. And I think if we start there, we're much more likely to, to understand and spot authentic inroads for the gospel. Mm. So, it, the gospel is is relevant for everyone, but the ways in are different. And and I think sometimes we don't take the time, maybe out of our our urgency, mm. and we don't take the time to really listen and, and find the find the inroads. Um, so I think that's that's my that's my starting point. List, listen and listen to people. I think what I like about that, Jason, that's a very transferable lesson, actually, if you're working with with people, let's say, in Uzbekistan, in grinding poverty, or if you're working with, you know, trying to reach your next door neighbor across the back fence in North Oxford, Absolutely. starting trying to find out where they're at rather than assume. Um, yeah. And on that very theme, actually, you know, one thing that's long interested me is, you know, it's very easy as a Western Christian to look at what's going on in Uzbekistan or Ukraine or China, all those countries where it's hard and tough to be a Christian because of poverty or persecution. 
And we can always end up feeling superior. We're, we're the ones who need to be praying for them. We're the ones who need to be helping them. They're the weaker brother. So I've got older, I've begun to realize, actually, that's not necessarily, it's more complex than that. And in particular, I often begin to wonder whether we're missing the fact that there are huge lessons that we can learn from them in terms of our setting here. And the fact you're, 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 you're nodding suggests that you've seen similar things going on. So perhaps I'll sort of turn the conversation a fractionally slightly different direction. As you've worked and had the privilege of working with and Christians in these kind of countries, what are some of the lessons that you've learned that's made you reflect on how you go about sharing your faith as a, as a Brit with your, with your neighbours, people you run across um, you know, every day in, in Oxford? What are some of the lessons we can learn from the persecuted church and apply here in our Western setting, do you think? I think the, the, the fundamental lesson that I've learned from my, from my colleagues and friends in, in places like Central Asia is, is the, just the foundation of knowing who you are in Christ. Knowing, knowing what your identity is, that you are unconditionally loved, that your life is secure in Christ. And, and, and when that really penetrates the heart rather than just sitting in the head, that, that just changes everything. That enables, that's actually what enables courage and, and risk taking in the, in the right sense of the word and, mm. um, the ability to, to be persecuted and genuinely count it as blessing for the sake of the gospel. Um, so you know, that that's what they have in spades. They, they just know that they are, they belong to Jesus. And, and my, my own experience is that when I am not only clear on that in my head, but experiencing that in my heart and life, then I am, um, I am more able to to share my faith with courage and and take risks and and not not feel so threatened when people criticize or or give me a hard time because because I know where I'm rooted and um I, that is that's the key lesson I've I've learned from them. That's really lovely Jason. What um what do you think it looks like? I mean, just, you know, I think we can probably all like listening to this and for us here as well, just think, gosh, yeah, we, we all want to be, you know, rooted in that kind of steadfast love of, of Jesus. How, how do you, um, I don't equip, um, the people that you're working with and th- that you're, um, facilitating to reach those communities to, mm. to be kind of serving from that position of steadfastness and in your own life, how can we, how can we cultivate and stay rooted? Yeah, the, 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 that is it's such a great question, and and I think the answer is a little more complex than sometimes we we suggest. So that there is, of course, a core around our own our own walk with Jesus and our um, our grappling with Scripture, and and particularly. Um, meditating on scripture so that it goes deep. Um, so in in one of our training programs, we spend a chunk of time looking at Mark chapter one and and Jesus' baptism and and what the Father speaks over Jesus at the start of his public ministry, and and the challenge to us as leaders of serving out of knowing in the Bible sense, not so it's not just head in the Bible, it's knowing in a way that changes what you do. Um, knowing that you are deeply loved children of God. So there's there's the sort of spiritual formation part, 
mm-hmm. um, if you like, which we tend to in the West make individual and and it should be communal. So a huge part of it is being in community with a small group of like-minded followers of Jesus who can encourage you and challenge you and remind you about the mission of God and our invitation to be part of that and where we are. Um, I think those two things together um, are essential. And then I think the third thing is, is having some mentors in your life who are just further ahead than you, who can, who can challenge you out of, a, out of a place of both being deeply committed to you, but also not being too impressed with you, right? So they can say, you know what, that just wasn't very cool. And you need to do this differently. Um, mentors are hugely important. Um, I've, I honestly, I dread to think where I'd be without a bunch of mentors in my life. Um, they've made a huge difference, and I, I'd encourage everyone to pursue that kind of relationship as well. That's um, that's great advice, uh, Jason. As we come to an end, I, the other thing that struck me as you were responding to Christy there the other thing that interests me you mentioned that that individual versus you know communal part one of the things I think is also crucial linking this back to where you began with your story of what happened for you with loving Jesus and struggling with the church one thing we're realizing my wife and I's parents of a 10 year old and eight year old is that actually you could end up western Christians can end up very disconnected from the wider global church both around the world and historically and I think there's a big part of discipling for the people listening to this you've got young kids or teens in your in your home get them realizing they're part of this global church that spans yeah. china korea you know the other side of the world and then backwards through time because mm-hmm. if you think that church is just you and the preacher and how, how holding your breath and counting to get through sermons <laughs> no wonder people walk away but if you go okay yeah. church is tough this morning but I also know I want to hold it together and follow faithfully because I'm part of this global community mm-hmm of people who've got life much tougher. So actually getting plugged in is great for our own walk with Christ too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So this has been a fascinating conversation, um, Jason. We've covered huge, huge amounts and hugely appreciate your taking the time. So how can people find out more about InnoVista? What's the best place for them to go? Is there a website somewhere like that where they can go and find out about all the great work you're doing? Yeah, best place is uh, InnoVista.org. So there's stories and opportunity to sign up for our our latest news which comes straight from exciting places like uzbekistan and ukraine um so innovista.org uh and go from there innovista.org it is and we will also put a link in the show notes if you if you forgot if by the time you finished your run your drive your you know wherever you are listening to this podcast you can't remember that website just click the show look in the show notes click the link and uh, dig into all of those great resources and stories jason there mentioned so jason once again thanks for being on pep talk it's been great to have you today thanks so much i've loved it thank you and uh, and christy and i will be back in a couple of weeks time uh with a fresh episode and a different guest so do tune in thanks for tracking with us thanks for all of you who listen to the show and support the show and we'll see you again in two weeks time bye for now bye